Let's begin our time together with a word of prayer. Oh God, you are awesome in power. You are holy and perfect. You are merciful and just. We come before you humbled to even hear from you today that we have your word, that you have spoken to us. God, you, you made us and you care for us, even though we have rebelled against you and done what is wicked and evil in your sight, you are so gracious and kind. And so we just ask now that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word, that you would teach us and incline our hearts to your word, that uh, we may um, hear what you have to say this morning and live in the way that's appropriate as a response. That is to your glory forever we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read this morning for you from Psalm 119, from verse 166 through 168. Hear what God's Word says and open it for us together. Psalm 119, verse 166. It says, And I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Thanks be to God for his word. When you hear the phrase, I keep your precepts and testimonies, or I do your commandments, and you assess how that connects to you, there are kind of four main ways that you could relate to this. The phrase, I do your commandments. Uh, these, these four main ways are in two overarching categories. The first is for an unbeliever, someone who says, uh, you know, Jesus might be out there. Jesus may be real. He may not be real. Uh, I don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus, if that's a thing. So someone who is an unbeliever, whether they're a skeptic, whether they're an atheist, whether um, they are outright against God, we have unbelievers, people who have not embraced Christ, and we have believers and within each of those two main categories, you have two uh, subcategories, you could say. Uh, um, first, in the unbelieving category, someone who has not embraced the Lord Jesus, when they hear a phrase like, I do your commandments, or they have the, the idea of what that means, there's two ways they can think about it or relate to it. The first is for the person to say, well, I think I'm a moral person. I think I'm a good person. Person. I, I'm generally good. So when it comes to like doing God's commandments, I think I, think I do them. Uh, if you've ever watched on uh, a video or on YouTube, uh, a guy named Ray Comfort, uh, the way the master, he always goes uh, to the streets and asks people, he says, you know, do you think you're a good person? And most people say, yeah, I am. And he says, okay, well, what gives you that basis of thinking you're a good person, right? Um, that's, that's the one person on this hand is, I think I'm good. I think I'm pretty moral. But the second type of person as an unbeliever is a person who says, no, I do not, I cannot, and I will not ever measure up to God or to God's standards or to any sort of commandments. I don't measure up. That's me. And so there's those two categories of people within an unbeliever, but here's the categories for a believer, someone who has embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who's been transformed by His grace. 
The first person says, uh, to use the language of the text, I do your commandments. Uh, I, my soul keeps your testimonies. I keep your precepts and testimonies. There's that person who says, you know what? I, I have kept his word. I am, you know, fairly okay. You know, I am, I'm doing well. I, I'm by his grace that, you know, things are going well. I do obey him. There's that uh, category of person within the believer. But then there's also the other category, which says, I'm a complete failure and I'll never measure up or amount to or relate to these phrases that says, I, my soul keeps your uh, testimonies or I keep your precepts or I do your commandments. I'll never, I'll never be able to say that. Even as a Christian, I can't say that. It's not me. I, I know how much of a failure I am. And the first person within that Christian category, the person who says, I, you know, I, I have obeyed and I do obey. Um, oftentimes we might want to shy away from that, thinking that we have to have this false sense of humility, like, no, no, I know that I'm wicked. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a failure. But here's the thing. Obedience is good. Obedience is to be sought after. What's interesting between these two categories is you see the similarities, right? In both camps, you have someone who obeys or thinks they obey or thinks they keep the law. And then you have those who think they don't measure up, those who are in the negative, who are down on themselves, who see their circumstance, whether it's very realistically or it's uh, believing such a lie. But either way, it's a, it's a negative view on self. So when you hear the phrase, I do your commandments, I, I keep your precepts, what's your conclusion about yourself? At the outset, we must be warned that when we try to do any sort of self-assessment, we can be very prone to believing a lie on either side. You can believe a lie on either side. This happens when we compare ourselves to others, when we look and say, yes, I am moral because I'm not like them. Or I'm not good enough because I'm not like that person. Right? And so you, you could... Believe a lie that just totally distorts your view, a proper view of self, because you're comparing yourself to others. Christians do the same thing as, un as unbelievers do. Believers will compare ourselves to others that we know. Well, I'm not Billy Graham. I'll never, I'll never be like him. I don't, I'm not so-and-so in the church. Or, man, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, the, it can go to the extreme uh, to be like, well, I, I know I'm moral because I've seen them and, you know... I'm a good person. I obey in comparison to them. There's a danger in that. It's, it's a lie because we're not meant to compare ourselves with others or even by our own measure of standard. Uh, you know, like oftentimes Ray Comfort, when he's asking unbelievers, you know, why they think they're good, they say, well, I just, I know I'm good. You know, I have a, you know, a view of what, what good means and I'm there. Uh, or I have a view of what good is in my own mind, and I don't measure up. And so it's just this own standard within your own mind. Believers have the same thing. Um, if this is the case, then we're in danger. If we're trying to compare ourselves to others or to our own standards, we are in danger of listening to the heart, which is desperately wicked and deceitful. We could fall into a trap, a lie, when instead we must listen to God's perfect word. 
Here's the thing. God's holy word will never let you believe a lie. It won't. And for that, we are thankful. Especially, we're thankful because when this is such a life-controlling feelings that are in line here, feelings of approval or disapproval, feelings of adequacy or inadequacy, feelings of being assured or being afraid. What person who has ever thought about their standing before God wouldn't want assurance that's based on truth? So here's the truth. For the child of God, that is the person who can expect to go to heaven because they're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the child of God, for them, obedience is expected. I'll say that again. For the child of God, obedience is expected. That is one side of the coin which strikes the balance. But that must never be neglected, brushed off, or forgotten. It is the summary of a Christian life for the person to say, I have kept your precepts and testimonies. That's a summary of what it means to be a person or a child of God. It's a summary of the Christian life. But we know that there is the other side of the Christian life coin, like in Romans chapter 7, where Paul says this, For I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing I do I hate. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Or in 1 John 1.8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we, we know that this life is a process, that we are not uh, yet there. We are in this process of sanctification that is growing, not fully grown, but we are growing and being pruned out because there's things that are not right, things that are hindering our growth, points of disobedience, points of sin in our life. We are not yet perfect. We know that. And at the very end of this chapter, even, he concludes on a very balanced note in verse 176. He says, um, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandment. A very balanced uh, view of self, a biblical view of self. But that is not to say that obedience can be forgotten or, or dis disregarded. No, for the Christian, for the believer, for the child of God, obedience is expected. Now to you that might sound like a very strong statement to be like, wait a second, I thought, I thought it was just grace. Right? I, thought, I thought I'd come to the cross and I, I, I confess my sin, I confess my need of Jesus. Um, he t washes away my sin and, and now I'm a new person and, and I'm free. I'm, I'm free forever. And I don't go to heaven because of my profession and my, my trust in Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. By grace you're saved. Not, not through any other means, Ephesians chapter 2 says. There's nothing that you can do, no works that you can add to add to your salvation. Nothing. It is not works that require you to come to Jesus and say, look, I did the checklist. 
Is that enough? There's no works that can save you. But if you are saved, works will prove you. They prove who you are. They're, they're expected. They're expected not so that you may gain salvation, but they are expected as an evidence of your salvation. Listen to what Jesus says when, when people are trying to discern and decipher, am I a follower of him? Like, am I truly his? Because he's telling a lot of stories. He's telling a lot of parables. He's trying to make things clear that um, show us that there's some people who say they follow him and they, they really don't. Or there's some people who say they follow him or, or you know, want to claim that they're going to heaven and they're not getting there. He separates them. And he says there, there is a large number of people who are convinced that they're safe. They're convinced they're good people and that's going to get them to God. He says, and they're not getting to God. They're, they're going to go to hell. Jesus separates those people. Well, so then people are wondering, well, you know, what is it? What does it mean? How, how do I know if, I, if I'm truly yours? It says in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandment. Saying, like, I expect that. I expect that you will keep my commandments. It's an expectation of the Christian life. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he keeps my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come in him and make our home with him. It's to love God, to love Jesus, is shown, it's expected that those people obey him. That's what Jesus says. To you at this point, you may think, well, that's a large burden, and I'm not sure after that that I love him. If that's the measure of if I love Jesus or not, as if I obey him or keep his commandments, I fail more than I succeed. Uh, and maybe that worries you. Until you also read in John chapter 14 that, that you don't do this alone. You're not expected to do it alone or in your own strength. He gives the Holy Spirit and, and we're thankful for that. We, we need that because in our own strength, in our own abilities, our own nature, everything within us is not sufficient to love God like we should, to obey God like we should, to keep his commandments. We cannot. Romans chapter 8 verses 7 and 8 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh or, or submitted to the sin nature... For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, that is, in the sin nature, obeying the sin nature, those who are, are walking naturally, cannot please God. Did you hear that? The, the, the natural self, it says, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Naturally, you cannot submit to God. You cannot obey His commandments perfectly. Naturally, you will run the other way. You will serve yourself. You will not love the Lord. Naturally. So then we cry out, well, how can I please Him? 
How can I obey him? Jesus says in John chapter 14, where he talked about those who love him will keep his commandments. He also said in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, that when we uh, are transformed by grace in our conversion, God gives us the the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to empower us, to enable us, to, to strengthen us, to obey to give us clearer vision on what it means to disobey and what it means to obey. To give us the strength to say no. To give us the way of escape. To give us the, the truths that are um, to wrench our hearts all the more. So that we would uh, hate what God hates and love what God loves. We have the Holy Spirit to obey. And so when it is expected, when Jesus says, I, I just expect it, like... Um, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Um, so it's just an expectation that's generally there. But if you feel defeated in that, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that God himself has come to dwell within you, to empower you, to give you understanding and guidance and correction, to train you, to, to give you hope, to give you um, prompting and pricking, to, dare, to, to, to knock down falsehood and to expose truth. So the Holy Spirit is given to us for, for this very task of obedience. It's amazing what what happens to us in in conversion. When when God saves us through the Lord Jesus, we are delivered from the dominion of darkness. We are are taken out of the power of of the chains of Satan and our sin nature. We're, we're, We're removed from that. Yes, we still have remnants of our sin nature. Yes, we are still prone and tempted one way. We still listen often to the voice of the old master. But we are actually delivered from that. We have freedom. Galatians says it was for freedom that you were set free. God has taken us out of the jail cell. He's opened the door. We are free. We are free. We're not just free to now... Use our own strength, which got us in trouble to begin with, to now try to obey God. We're we're free, but we're also empowered by the Holy Spirit. So imagine a person then who is freed from jail, given all the power in there that they ever need, all the power they ever need, and they still say, I don't want to obey. What is that? Like, does that even compute? Does that even make sense? Does that calculate that a person will be set free? Uh, from their jail, by grace, like not because they've earned it, not because they've done their time, not anything, just by pure grace, you're free. Not because you were lovely, not because you deserved it, but you're free by grace. And and here's all the power you need. What are you going to do with it? Go sit back in the jail cell? It's crazy. It's crazy. And so that's why it's just like an expectation that those who are gods would be able to have this banner over their life, kind of this summary over their life that says, um, I do your commandments, verse 166. My soul keeps your testimonies. I keep your precepts and testimonies, 168. 166, he says, I hope in your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. I do them. I do them. I don't just know them. How many of us know the Ten Commandments by heart? How many of us know any other laws? Can you repeat even the two that Jesus said are the greatest commandments? 
Can you repeat them? I sure hope so. Um, but, but yeah, like here he says, I do them. I, I already know them. Like that's just a given. And I do them. That's actually also a given. He says, I, I do them. And what are they? They're his commandments. They're his commandments. They're not what someone else has taught us. They're not what, what we seem to think our own measure of morality based on what we see going on around us. Or our own, well, I'm better than I used to be. And so that's what I'm just going to keep doing. I'm just going to keep being a better me. I'm just going to be a better me than I was yesterday. Well, well, how about you look to God's standard, his commandments, and, and by his power you live under them and submit to them and do them. And do his commandments, not what we think is there. Not these phrases that are common but not found in the Bible like, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. And so we don't live life on philosophies that aren't his words, his commandments. But instead, we do his commandments, the things that he has laid out for us. And I love how Jesus summarized God's law. That you should love God with all you are and love others. Okay, what else is there to do? That covers it all. And so there, his commandments, even summed up by Jesus, it's not like anything is wanting, nothing is missing from that. And so we do his commandments. Look at 167, he says, My soul keeps your testimonies, or statutes, or decrees. My soul keeps them. It's not just robotic, I'm doing them, my body's just, I'm a slave, and I'm doing these because I must but my soul, like there is, there is affection. And, and that's why he says at the second half of that verse, 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. There is a love, an affection, something beyond just robotic um, discipline. Something beyond just I must do this thing. There is a, a true heart affection, a soul that is longing, that is feeling, that, that actually is engaged with feelings of I am approved by God because of the Lord Jesus. I I am adequate because of Christ. I'm assured because of Christ. And all those things give me a heart of gratitude. And gratitude changes the way I live. Not just how I feel. Not just how I think. But how I live. So my soul. It's beyond the surface. It's not just what other people can see. Does your soul keep his commandments? Because you know what? A lot of things, a lot of things are internal. They're in your heart. They're in your head. They're in your attitude. And other things that people might not ever be able to point out or see in you when it comes to you disobeying God. Right? A heart of bitterness. A heart of anger. A heart of jealousy. A heart that that really does not love a person ingratitude, greed, pride. All of these things can be hidden, quote-unquote, in the heart. But they're not hidden from God. And even in the heart and in the thought life is where we're supposed to keep His testimonies as well. To love them, to, to be transformed by them. And then in verse 168, He says, I keep your precepts and testimonies. And those two used together just kind of gives us... a. a a sidetrack to go, okay, I, I don't only keep God's 
um, like practical things, right? So you may think, all right, give me a list of 10 things I can do it. You know, okay, feed the poor, check. Uh, care for the orphans and the widows, check. Um, be generous with your money, check. Um, support God's laborers, check. You know, and you can go through that and you say, I have practically done all that he has said. I've kept that. Give me the list, I'll keep it. But it's beyond that. It's beyond just the practical doing what well, we know to be right in practice. We also must believe right. Because that's part of keeping his precepts and testimonies is believing right about God. We can totally disobey in the way we believe. And so this must be true of us, not only practically, but doctrinally. We must know God and, and believe God rightly, think rightly about God, worship rightly toward God. And that all comes not just from practice, but from doctrine and keeping doctrine. Knowing his word, to know God, to obey God as God. And it also, yeah, just the way you think about God, the way you relate to God. Are you flippant? Are you afraid? Are you, um, yeah, properly reverent? All these sorts of things, right? It, it kind of comes to, am I keeping his precepts? Like, am I keeping what he has taught me about himself in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, in my obedience? Like, how I respond to God, is it not just practical, but is it doctrinal? We are bound not just to believe right, we are bound to uh, behave right as well. Or the opposite ways, we're, we're not only to behave right, we are also to believe right. That comes as an expectation that we love him and we keep his commandments. And we do it because it is evidence of God's grace in our lives. And that's the beautiful thing, right? We already mentioned in Romans 8 here that uh, in the flesh, in our natural selves, with our natural abilities and strength, we are unable. It says we cannot uh, keep his commandments. We cannot please God. It's impossible. God says it. It's not just what some grumpy old Christian says. It is God who says you cannot obey him unless you have the Spirit. It's impossible to obey him. So, when we do obey him, guess what? It's nothing to be ashamed of. You don't have to downplay. When, when you come to think and you see a phrase like this that says, this is supposed to summarize my Christian life. I do your commandments. There's to be no shame in saying that. It's not pride. We don't, we don't stand up like a Pharisee and say, I'm glad I do them and he doesn't do them. But no, before you and God, can you say, I do your commandments. That, that summarizes my life. And when you do, uh, you're, it's a humbling thing. It is more humbling because you realize that your faith is, is really a, a confession, a profession of your weakness and your inability. That's what our faith in God is. That's what our faith in Jesus is. is I'm not able, and so I'm trusting in you. I'm looking to you. I'm empowered by you. So then when things happen and we do obey and we are growing and we are behaving rightly and we are be, be, believing rightly, then we can celebrate that and say to God, I do your commandments. How is that possible? I'm doing your commandments. I actually, um, against my nature, like it's not my nature to be generous. My, 
Like, sin nature, it, unless you're being generous to be noticed or whatever, it's like, sin nature is, no, 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 keep it for me. Keep it for me. I want to grow my kingdom here. But we can, by God's grace, be transformed to have a heart of, of cheerful generosity to give to others and say, wow, like, I would never do that within my own flesh. But it's evidence, then, of God's grace in your life. God's grace, that he has done this thing in you. It's not based on your skill set, and you're doing it because, you know, you have the skills to do it. Well, what happens when you get to a command or something God requires of you that you don't have the natural skill set for? Then you're going to let yourself down. But here's the beauty of it is when God enables you to do things for him, to, to love him and to love others in ways uh, that he's calling you to do, it's evidence of his grace in you. It is evidence that he is empowering you, that he's supplying for you, that he's leading you. It's evidence of the fruit of faith. The faith is not just uh, the one checkbox we need and then we are good. James strikes a good balance when he talks about faith in James chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17 of James. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's like, okay. Here, at the very last line there, they had their beliefs right. They believed rightly, but they didn't behave rightly. They were saying, well, yeah, I, I know all these things to be true, but I know all you need is faith, and I don't have to do anything. I can just keep serving myself now. Yeah, that's what the demons do. And they're not, just because they believe rightly, and you, do, you know, you've checked the box, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Is that it? That, that's all you need? Well, he's saying, good, good on you. You're the same as the demons. They believe the Lord is, is Christ. They believe that he's the ruler of heaven and earth. They believe he's coming again to judge the world. They believe he's resurrected. They've checked all the boxes, the same as you. What's different? He's saying, nothing, nothing's different. And so he says, what shows genuine faith, true faith, transforming faith, is that that faith works. It works itself out. There is fruit. It's like a tree that is planted by streams of water. And it, float, the, 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 it is um, nourished by God and it produces a fruit from God for God's glory. That's it. That's why we have in Galatians the fruits of the Spirit. It is evidence that the Spirit is in us. Evidence that the Spirit is working in us. He is exposing fruit and growing fruit in its season and in its time. And over time it's getting more, uh, more edible, more, more useful. What we reap we will sow. There, there always is going to be a fruit or an evidence of true genuine faith, of true genuine conversion. Yes, the way we enter into that relationship, that we receive the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ is simply by faith. We just fully put our trust in him. We say, God, I can't, I can't do this. I need you. That's faith. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross bearing my sin and my guilt, and it's paid for. And because of that, I'm free. And, and now I'm new, and now I, I want to live differently. There's faith. There's our conversion. Yes. But it's evidenced 
two days down the road, five years down the road, 55 years down the road, if that was, if that was real. If it was not just a belief at the surface level, but if it was uh, deeper in my soul. My soul keeps your testimonies. Oh, I love them exceedingly. Has it impacted your soul? Has your soul, the nature of who you really are, has it changed? Have you been given a new nature, the nature to uh, love the Lord God with all your heart? Have you been given that new nature? Because if so, then it says there in James that it will expose itself in fruit. That if you have faith or you say you have faith, but there's no evidence of it, there is no fruit of it, there is no obedience, then your faith is dead. And that goes hand in hand with what Jesus said, where he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like people are going to know that you love me because you keep my commandments. There's going to be evidence. There's going to be um, things that are seen. And so it's evidence that we have the grace of God at work in our lives. Not that all of a sudden you just get some sort of special skill. But know that God is at work in you. That he began a good work in you and he'll bring it to completion. He's changing you. He's transforming you. He's making you uh, think of yourself less and others more. That you're loving God more and giving all you have to God more and more as you mature. And that only happens as an evidence of his grace in your life. Of, of actual salvation. That you actually do belong to God. It is evidence of that. And, and it really comes down to also shows motivation. It shows um, why you're doing the very thing you do. Why are you obeying? And, and at the end of it, when you see this fruit and you're able to celebrate what God has done, it's, it's okay to be able to stand before God. And with this summary of your life found here in 166, 167, 168, um, I hope in your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I keep your precepts and testimonies. Does that mean perfectly? No. Does it mean all the time? No. But is that a summary of your life since Christ? It should be. It's expected to be. That's what Jesus says. That's what James um, flushes out in terms of the fruit. It's expected and it's evidence that you actually have a relationship with God. It, it's unnatural, as we heard in Romans 8. But it is something that God does in us, and so it shows the supernatural. And that's why he, in verse 60, 166, he says, I hope. I hope in your salvation. Like, I have a hope. I, I'm, I'm looking, and I believe that you're going to deliver me, that you're going to do this thing in me, that there is final deliverance from my, my, my flesh, the thing that holds me back. I hope in your salvation. I hope. I have assurance because I do your commandments, and I do your commandments because you're enabling me to, them, to do them. And you've given me the, you've released me from prison, and you've given me power, and, and you're doing this in me. Oh, man, I'm, I'm loving people like I never thought I could. I, I was able to forgive that person. When 10 years ago, I would have never forgiven them for sinning against me like that, for hurting me like that. But, but by your grace, I'm doing it. I'm doing your commandments. You tell me to forgive, and I'm doing it. And so they, we celebrate what God has done in us. It only happens when we are transformed by God. So then we hope. <laughs> we, I have a hope in salvation because look at what God is doing in me. Thanks be to him. And so when you come back to those two main categories of how people can relate to this concept of I do your commandments. The first is the unbeliever. Someone who thinks they're a good person. And you think... By what standard? 
So Ray Comfort, I mentioned him earlier, when he talks to people and he says, you think you're a good person? They say, yeah. And he says, well, you know, can we just go based on the Ten Commandments? Like if, if, if God's the ruler of heaven and, and God's going to determine whether you get to heaven or not, let's go based on his rules. And they say, yeah, sure. So he starts going through the Ten Commandments and, you know, he starts going through them one by one by one. And he's like, have you ever lied? Even a white lie? They're like, yeah. He says, okay, so you're not good. Have you ever stolen even a pencil? Yeah. And so it just really begins to, the Bible, like I said earlier, won't let us lie to ourselves. It won't let us believe a lie. So the Bible will not let us believe that we are good. We're not good. And so for an unbeliever who thinks they're good, pray for them, give them a Bible, walk with them carefully, lovingly, tenderly, um, with, with a, yeah, just compassionately, with a genuine heart of, it hurts it hurts to hear that you are not as good as you think you are. It hurts. And especially when it's actually getting to the real heart of a person, and they're not just brushing it off or just being offended, but it hurts to hear that you are not what you thought you were, and that you're not good, and that because you're not good, you're, you're not going to heaven. And so it's just devastating news, but it needs to be told. It needs to be heard that we are not sufficient, that we have offended God, that we are hostile to God, we are his enemies because of every little thing we do wrong. And because he is infinitely holy and infinitely worthy of our praise, when we do not praise him, we are infinitely worthy of judgment. So it's devastating because that is our, that is our end. That is the wages of our sin. That is the final payment. Is that we have infinitely sinned against a holy God, so we will infinitely pay in an eternal place called hell. It's bad news. But there's, there's good news in the Bible that if you stop trusting in yourself and tr- stop thinking that I can obey and I can do this and I can correct it and you look to God in Christ, you can, you can be saved. You can be set free from your own slavery and, and you're free to live for God, forgiven of your sin, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and behaving like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it only happens truly, genuinely by faith. You must fully trust him. So that's how we are able to help people be released from believing they're a good person. We don't just slap that on people uh, without love. That's useless. You do it in, in genuine love and compassion, but someone needs to hear that, that you know. They need to hear that they're not good. And, and so be wise in how you tell people that, how you expose them to that truth, and how you just open up the word of God to them. Don't let you be the speaker. Let God speak, um, and he will... He, He's sufficient to speak to them, and he, only he can save, only he can convince, only he can break a hard heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh to be pliable, to hear, to feel the fact that they've offended him. Um, so that's the solution to that. And then the person over here who also says, I'll never measure up, they also need to hear the gospel. It says, it's not about you or what you're able to do or all the negatives that you have counted against you. It's not that. It's grace. It's all of grace. That God does not look at your record. God does not look at your abilities. God looks at you as a child, a son, or a daughter and says, I love you. And because of that love, because of my love, which I have determined before the foundation of the world, nothing is going to change that. I love you, and I'm calling you to come home. It's a beautiful and freeing thing for a person who says, I'll never measure up for you to say, you don't need to. Christ has measured up. Christ was sufficient to take your place where you will never measure up. Christ has done it. Come to him. Look to him. Come under him. 
Come into him and you'll be sufficient. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and freeing. But then, so for this person, the unbelieving person to view the phrase, I do your commandments, those things need to happen. We need to be torn down, shown the bad news, but then also given the good news that there is freedom and new life. For the believer who says, you know, um, I do your commandments, realize that's a good thing. That we are to celebrate what God has done in us and, and for us and through us. Obviously, we don't shout it from the rooftops. We don't make sure we plaster it on our house side um, and, and try it. We don't want to be like what um, Jesus says. Don't be like the, fair, or the Gentiles, you know, shouting from the rooftop, telling people how spiritual they are. Don't be like that. But it, there is no shame in coming before God and being like, I am, I am glad that you have done this work in me. I'm glad that today you made me obey you. Like, celebrate those things. Celebrate that you do his commandments. Celebrate when your soul keeps his testimonies. When he has uh, purified part of your thought life or he's enabled you to stop being bitter or stop being angry. When he's enabled you to just be more content. When he's enabled you to endure suffering. Celebrate that and say, I do your commandments by your grace. Praise be to you. It's a good thing. It's a good summary of your Christian life. Don't be ashamed of it. And if that comes up in conversation with other people, um, boast in God, yeah. But, you know, if they say, oh, I noticed you do this, this, or this, don't say, oh, no, I don't. No, you, you can admit that by God's grace, with God's help, by his strength and power, um, you're just humbled that he's enabled you to do that. Give him the glory. Don't rob him of it by denying the fact that he's changed you. Don't do that. Allow him the glory in that moment to glorify the, what he is doing and how he's able to transform you, a sinner, to display his Savior in you. And then there's the, the Christian who says, I'm a complete failure. When I look at these sentences like, I do your commandments, I think, no, I don't. I never have and I don't think I ever will. I, I, every five minutes, this is not summarizing my life. I'm not keeping your precepts and testimonies. I'm, I'm behaving wrong. I'm believing wrong. I'm not sufficient. For that person, just preach the gospel to yourself. Remember that it's not about your ability. It's not about your strength and your power to overcome. It is God. So submit yourself again to him. Surrender your moment to him. Surrender your thought to him. Surrender your feeling of inadequacy to him. Believe Christ. Believe that he is in you and that he is for you. That you are his child. Believe Christ. Don't deny the gospel its power in your life by being a denier in and out. Day by day. Don't deny the power of the gospel. But instead, admit when you do fail and say, that was my flesh again and I need God. I need his grace and I believe it's there. I believe he's powerful to change. So God, come, do what you want to do in my life. Here I am. I surrender again. It doesn't mean you're not saved in five minutes when you screw up. It just means you are having a real uh, mountain climb of sanctification, you know, up one step, down 25. Um, by God's grace, you will be in an upward motion. He says, I... He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So trust him. Trust him and, and, and call on him in that way. And say, I need your help. I need you to get me through this and, and to a place where I can obey you in this way. With this thing. I'm struggling with this. 
So don't beat yourself up. Don't allow the enemy to win or a lie to win. Say, I'm not as good as them or I'm not as good as I think I should be. But let God's standard, let God's measure, his commands be your goal, be your prize, love them, let your soul keep them by his power, and pray for it. Day in and day out, where you feel inadequate, that is just all the more opportunity to pray, call on God, beg God to show up and glorify himself in your life. In all these cases, God can and will be glorified. He'll be glorified in in the unbeliever when they come to a realization of themselves, a true realization of themselves. That both the inadequate, both the overthink, overthinker will be humbled to come to the cross. And for the believer, that we can indeed glorify him by celebrating what he's done in us, but then those others who could say, um, just humble themselves and say, God, you're able to do this in me. I believe it and I want to see it. May God be glorified in all these things so that we, at the end of our Christian life, we may be able to summarize it like this. I hope in your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let's pray. O God, you are holy and good, powerful, and we are so weak and frail. No matter where we kind of fall and which category we fall, we know that ultimately every single one of us needs you. And so we're calling on you and we're asking you to um, just empower us, correct um, false beliefs in our minds about ourselves, improper self-evaluations, help us to evaluate by your word where we are, whether that's as um, some who are unbelievers need Uh, correcting in knowing that they are not going to have a great standing before you because they've sinned against you. For those who are believers who maybe feel inadequate, help them to remember the gospel. Help us all, God, to come into um, the light of the truth through your word. We love your word, and we want to be those who are doers of your word because you expect it. That's what happens to people who you have called out, and it's evidence And so help us, O God, we pray, so you will be glorified from our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.